see, was it you who had him lift a truck so quickly and powerfully that his shirt ripped open and his tits bounced out? Because I, for one, appreciated that panel. And David Cutler, if you're listening, thank you. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today, for the first time ever, are two simultaneous guests, meaning that this is going to be a real editing headache, but I'm excited about it. First is returning guest, Steve Orlando, now the writer on Marauders, which was something we weren't able to talk about last time you were on the show because it was still behind the scenes, making her Cerebro debut today is All Elite Wrestling star Nyla Rose, the first transgender wrestler in history to sign with a major American promotion. She served as women's world champion at AEW for some time and is a big fan favorite. She has an action figure. I think you're my first guest with an action figure. I know this is a uh, audio only medium, but I'm pumping my fists. I'm like, I'm excited for that. That's it. I mean, that's cool. I, I don't have an action figure. Another so. first to check off the list, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah, that's probably the first transgender action figure that I, I think you might be right, actually, now that now that we bring that up. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of like what <laughs> character would have had one. Nyla and Steve worked together on the giant size Thunderbird one shot, which I absolutely loved. And as you all may remember on this podcast, in a great display of no, my friends in the X office don't actually spoil all the plots for me. About two weeks before Thunderbird was resurrected, I went on a long tangent about how I didn't think Thunderbird would ever be resurrected because he was more useful to the franchise dead than he was alive. So there was some egg on my face. It's not as bad as when I said Hickman's not going anywhere. And then a week later, Hickman announced his departure. That was pretty embarrassing. But otherwise, I think that my precognition, I'm like four out of five. I'm like pretty good usually, but the the misses are, are real misses. This issue did everything that needed to be done. It brought the character dignity in a way that he hadn't previously had. It established him as very different from his brother Warpath, which is the thing that I felt would be complicated in terms of bringing him back because Warpath kind of functionally replaced him in the franchise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It built out the world of Native American tribes' relationships to mutants, which is something that we've seen a little bit. Darcy Little Badger did a story with Danny Moonstar, but by introducing Lowe's and Proudstar, the grandmother that we had not met previously, there's a whole family history here now that feels really real and that I'm excited potentially to see more of. All I could think was, I mean, I know that Al is using Thunderbird and X-Men Red, but I would love to see the two of you get a mini or something Hey, because I thought the one shot was super fun. Before we get too deep into John Proudstar himself, I'd love to hear from you, Nyla, about your origin story with the X-Men, your history with this franchise. Steve has already done this song and dance with me <laughs> once before, so I want to focus on you here for this segment. What is your backstory with this franchise? I believe I might be 
off by a few, but I believe my first interactions with the X-Men were the uh, cartoon that used to come on Fox Kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to say it was at 92, I believe. Mm -hmm. I I believe that might be my first interactions with the X-Men. My aunt turned me on to them and, and she was into comics. And, and I remember there was a little bit of hype, quite a bit of hype, but we didn't have the internet back then. So we don't, we don't know just how long the hype train was, but you know, by word of mouth, we had a bit of a hype train about this comic book being turned into a cartoon, a series, no less. And people were excited. My aunt was excited and we watched it and instantly fell in love with it. And that was, even though I was like, I don't know, like six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, I don't know how old I was. I was young, but it was immediately on my must watch list. Like I, I made it that that was what I was doing. Don't talk to me. Give me my bowl of Captain Crunch and get out of my way. Like that's what we're doing. <laughs> it really was the centerpiece of the Fox Kids block for years. Oh, yeah. On Saturday morning cartoons. For the Gen Z kids out there, we didn't have your fancy cartoon networks. I mean, I, I did DVRs. eventually. But, yeah. And we also <laughs> didn't have a TiVo, I was about to say, because... <laughs> That's a DVR for the people who've never heard of a TiVo because we're old over here. But yeah, to me, it was exciting because I was reading the comics because my dad was a collector. Mm -hmm. So I knew all of this stuff. But then suddenly with the cartoon, everybody at school knew who the X-Men were and we could talk about X-Men. Yeah, like overnight. It was great. Yeah, it was just very... Sudden, and that's why I think that those characters, the ones from the cartoon and the costumes from the cartoon, do come back yeah. again and again and again and again more than any other characters because that's it. The most familiar, yeah. For millennials, that is the moment that most people encountered it in broader popular culture. For sure. And they, and they, I thought they did a great job of kind of like they didn't focus on all the more known mutants, they didn't focus on like. I mean, of course, they 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 highlighted, they spotlighted the love triangle with Wolverine mm-hmm. and Cyclops and Jean. But I mean, like you had Morph was a part of the main team, like right out the gate in the first episode. Yeah. Mr. Sinister was very integral to like, I think the big, the first big story arc. The nasty boys appear more in that cartoon than they ever did in the comic book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was great because you got to meet so many of like the secondary, third tier and just like, you had to meet a little bit of everybody and and I, I feel I feel awful kind of equating them this way, but it kind of like Pokemon, you know, there's there's so many out there. No, you gotta catch them all. That's the premise yeah. of this podcast. Is like people are checking <laughs> off on their X-Men decks every time I do an episode. They're like, oh, now I know who that person is. Yeah. Well, like just like Pokemon, there's so many of those, but like just like X-Men, there's so many in that universe. And we got to meet so many of them. We got Angel's backstory, how he became Archangel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know that. Like, right. There's a long shot in Dazzler episode. There's a Havoc episode. There's yeah, Ace Man stuff. It was Colossus. Great. Like, even people who aren't on the team, they would have little arcs. Yeah. And it, I thought it was fantastic. Like, looking back on it and then like rewatching it a little bit older, I thought it was fantastic for those reasons. When did you get into the comics? 
pretty much right away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, it was back in the day, you really could. Now people are like, oh, synergy, like the MCU doesn't drive people to comics. But let me tell you, that cartoon definitely drove people to comics. I mean, it helped that we had like comic shops in town. And the comics would be at the diner, they would be at the supermarket, they'd be at the pharmacy, at those spinner racks. When and where I grew up, I didn't have that. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was it was like... um it's like a big event, to, like a, like going to Disneyland almost, getting to go to the comic shop or, you know, mm-hmm. just have that experience. Um, it wasn't until a little while later, I want to say maybe three, four years after that, moved out to uh, a part of Marathon, New, New Carrollton, Maryland, if any listeners are out there. Is that near where the Real Housewives of Potomac are? That's my only real reference <laughs> point for Maryland. I don't believe so. I think okay. it's not, is that terribly far from there, but like, it's, it's a bit of a hike. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, we moved out to New Carrollton, Maryland. Across, like right across from our apartment complex was a mall. And it wasn't an amazing mall. It wasn't anything fantastic. But it had all the, all the teenager essential needs. You know, you had like your movie theater. And then you had your comic book shop. I don't even remember the name of it. But it was like my favorite place to go to. We would go over there and it was all downhill in the best way possible because (laughs) I was over there religiously buying the X-Men 94 Flare Ultra, the Terminator 2 movie cars. Like those were my main two sets that I were collecting. I had all of those. I had them in those. (laughs) I had those baseball card sleeves that you would put them in. And I was like, I would keep it like binders. I still have those somewhere. I I realize I'm holding this up so you can see it, but I got the green. You're in front of the green screen. screen. Nyla is sitting in the danger room. which is a cute zoom decision to make but yeah i can't see the object she's holding oh it still doesn't even show okay we'll Uh, we'll show that for you later privately yeah but yeah i collected those and and that that was what i did and any comic i didn't even know who half the people were just like does the cover look cool i'm in let's get it you know and back then before before inflation it was like what is this (laughs) two two bucks three bucks yeah like two bucks i can toss two bucks at this yeah exactly you know so it's like yeah i don't care this guy's missing half his face i want to see what that's about what this girl has armor and it's bones like right yeah jump into that like so it was it really was like whatever it was and and that's how i was introduced to a lot of I don't want to say not so popular, but like, you know, people who follow like in a cult, like, like Gen 13 and like uh, Witchblade. Those are indies that are not at the big two. So yeah, there's that, right? Yeah, but like there also, I would say like the C list, the B list, which there's nothing wrong with that. Like not every book not can be X-Men, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Like it's yeah, just not. And possible. I didn't care because they looked cool and I loved them. And and that's, that was, that was really what, what got my teeth into it. So how did this collaboration with Steve come about? I don't really know. <laughs> I feel like I was invited to a fancy party. I had no business being at. <laughs> Uh, Steve reached out to me and he, he saw that I was a bit of a nerd. <laughs> he saw, he saw my mystique gear. Well, Steve's a big wrestling head. I know. So he's a big wrestling head. And also your general mystique. Let's not just let, like, <laughs> not that, that as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, if, if I'm recalling the story correctly, Steve was like, 
hey, I think Nyla might be on board for this. And then he saw them as steak gear and was like, oh, Nyla definitely is going to be on board for this. <laughs> and then pitch and say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're, you know, bringing Thunderbird back. We would love to have your voice a part of this. Is that something you might be interested in? I thought about it for like two microseconds and instantly said yes. Because you are Native American yourself. You're yes. of Oneida Oneida. heritage, not... Yes. Apache, but no. I had Darcy Little Badger on to talk about her Danny Moonstar story, and she is Apache, and she was talking about how she's like, I'm writing a Cheyenne character. It's complicated, but I'm just really excited that we're in the room, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and, and that's very much the same thing, I think, you know, not the same words, but, like, pretty much the same thing I, I expressed to Steve. I was like, I'm really nervous. Like, I don't know how it's going to be received because I'm not, you know, of this tribe, of this lineage. I, I don't know how that's going to go over, but... The fact that it's, you know, a, a, a conglomerate of indigenous creators coming together. Yeah, because the artist also is, is First Nations David, David Cutler. Cutler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so far been well received. So yeah. that fear alleviated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that part of it is, yes, there are always going to be intricacies to these things representationally and, and in terms of personal life experience. But when you look at these comics that were created by white people, the Native American characters, like the verisimilitude is not always there, right? Like one of the things that Darcy pointed out in her episode was that the red headband that Danny wears is not a Cheyenne headband. It's an Apache headband. Right. Her theory was that it's a gift from the Proud Stars. She was ah. like, they gave her one as like a, cause she and Warpath had like a bond in 80s New Mutants, right? So she's like, I can find ways for that. A great example here is as far as I've been able to determine, and I am far from, I'm Irish and Jewish and not a lick Native American. I don't know what I'm talking about, but as far as I've been able to determine, the Thunderbird is not part of Apache tradition culturally, like folklorically speaking. It's not a figure in Apache religion. It's a figure in other yes. Native American tribal religions, but that's a good example of like, it was harder to research these things in 1975 and people weren't always on top of it if they were white people who were just like, this would be cool, you know? So right. I think just the mere fact of having indigenous writers and artists do treatments of the characters. I mean, the new costume is so cool. Thank you. Thank you. And that feels cool because it feels authentic also. I loved the data page explaining Yes. John designing the new costume himself. Yes. And that was that was very important um, because kind of like circling back to what you just said, a lot of times it felt very much like, oh, we need a native character. Cool. Uh, long hair, tassels and strong jaw. Like have at some it. fringe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> use more brown when you color it in. Like just, just have at it. Magenta back then. Yeah, it right? was really like not. <laughs> but um. <laughs> So, so actually, actually putting some, some colors that have meaning, not just to indigenous folks, but specifically to Apache was very, very important. We kind of, we kind of sent over uh, to David what we wanted to do. And he was like, yeah, okay, I got some ideas. And like, he sent back this thing and just instantly knocked it out of the park. Well, and it's so great because Warpath has worn the Thunderbird costume for so many years that to most people, that's just Warpath's costume. So if you're going to bring back Thunderbird, it makes sense to give him a new look. And this is so visually distinct. The haircut, the color scheme. I mean, turquoise and yellow are not colors you see in a lot of superhero costumes, right? right. Because 
they're not the superhero aesthetic that we expect, which is like red, blue, in the same way that green and purple are usually used for bad guys. Like there's this color theory of, of superhero comics and it's neat to see this really powerful, strong superhero guy walking around in turquoise and gold. I mean, it looks neat. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because um, in a lot of indigenous cultures, there's like this whole, uh, almost like a sub-language of like color, you know, and the, the meaning of things. And we, as a modern society, as, as non-natives, uh, kind of have that too. Look at Disney, like a lot of their villains, like you said, purple and green. Mm-hmm. You see those colors, you instantly know this person might be a bad guy. Right. You know, so there's, there's a lot of language. That's why Polaris color. is always going crazy because she's green <laughs> goblin colors. No, that's actually true. Like they've said she looks like a bad guy. And so it makes sense for her to have like bad guy moments because her design looks like a bad guy. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of uh, language to that. And, and it's it's kind of cool to see those things that were, uh, you know, classically native because they're the, we're the first nations, you know, they were here mm-hmm. first, but like to see other, other, I guess you could say interpretations of things like that in modern society is pretty cool to me. Yeah. I think it's really neat and it's cool to see it at the same time that the other characters of color from that giant size X-Men team, I think are also being presented in more authentic and nuanced ways. Sunfire has a new costume that does not use the Imperial Naval flag. That's very controversial that has (laughs) held that character back in a lot of ways. And he's also getting to like have a voice in a way that that character rarely has had. Storm finally has hair with any kind of texture to it, which has never (laughs) happened in the entire history of her publication so we're starting to see moments where it's like okay diversity in characters is great and chris claremont was very very committed to having these diverse teams of characters the new mutants in particular were a team where he said like okay well one of them is afro-latino one of them is native american one of them is vietnamese he wanted to do that right but it's still a white American, British American, he's complicated, guy like writing his best idea of what could be. And the most interesting Native American character that he wrote, I thought, was Forge, because Forge has completely rejected his culture. Right. That's the contrast with Moonstar or with Warpath. Like, he's he's just left. And what I liked about this story was the use of human Native American characters to emphasize that there's a weird intersection happening here. So like by leaving to go become one of the X-Men, when John comes back, the kids on the reservation call him an apple, right? Because he's left his cultural milieu. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the kind of stuff that it really helps to have an authentic voice working on the book, writing on the book to get that because it wouldn't be a thought that would necessarily occur to me if I was writing the character. Of course. But when I read it, I was like, that makes complete perfect sense. What was your childhood like? Did you grow up in that kind of setting or? I didn't specifically in that type of setting, but definitely some of those shared experiences Mm -hmm. by having the intersectionality of being Uh, Native American of being black as well, Mm -hmm. you know, being mixed race, 
And that's very complicated. I have black and Native American friends who've told me how complicated that is. It, yeah, it, a lot of times, quite frankly speaking, I was too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids. Right. So it was it was a struggle of trying to find my place. Like, where do I belong? Trying to code switch mm-hmm. uh, for those who aren't necessarily familiar with that terminology. I'm not going to sit here and explain to you. Look it up. Go to Urban Dictionary. People speak in different ways to different people in different situations. There you go. I was, I was going to touch on it. Black people, other racial minorities, gay people. There are lots of different yeah. cultures that have modes of speaking when you're among friends and modes of speaking when you're in mixed company, basically. There you go. Okay, yeah. You, you... I was going to take it on myself to like <laughs> white people explain that for the white people who don't know what that means. But yeah, like having having to do that or, or just find your place to fit in. So definitely those were things that kind of kind of brought to the forefront when Steve and I kind of had our first meeting to get some notes down, some bullet points to kind of skeletonize where we wanted things to go. It's like, hey, what about this? What about this? What do you think the conflict would be between, you know, mm-hmm. him and his own people? So uh, just just getting that on paper and just kind of like shedding a light on like, hey, it's not all smooth sailing just because like there are other issues afoot, even though they may be smaller in the grand scheme of things, you know, there, there's there's conflict. Yeah. And I've always found it unfortunate that Camp Verde was destroyed in the early 90s. And so Warpath was never able to go home to the tribe. Like yeah. there was never that. And I think that's because the people writing the book were like, that feels like a minefield that I don't want to necessarily <laughs> separate, you know, right? So like, and like, oh my God, Strife murdered my tribe. Like now Warpath has reason to really hate Strife. Like, got it. That makes sense. But it also is like, okay, but now his whole culture has been taken from him and is not going to factor into the book beyond him occasionally saying like, the Thunderbird is my totem or like, you know, whatever. What I liked most about this was by having the grandmother be someone who left before that happened because of the divorce, it creates a continuity of family, but also of culture because Mm -hmm. she's at a different reservation now, but it's the same tribe and Mm -hmm. he can be among his people, even if it's not his literal family that provides a lot of opportunities for story. I loved, by the way, that this whole thing was a sequel to X-Force Minus One, which is an issue that until recently you could not read digitally, but as it happens, the Epic Collection just came out and it's on Marvel Unlimited now. So if anybody here has not read X-Force Minus One by John Francis Moore and I think Adam Polina, go back and read that. It's a fun flashback story about the childhood of the Proud Stars featuring the wicked Dr. Edwin Martinek, who returns in Giant Size Thunderbird to do nefarious things. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was really great, I mean, I read this a while ago and I was really, I was really moved by it, but I also was really struck by, you know, Orcus so far has been a looming threat right, has been a background threat as other things were being dealt with. And now it feels like that organization is positioned to make real moves. And so for one of the first moves that we see to be something that's not just about mutants, but that underlines that an organization that is bent on the destruction of mutants is also going to be racist, right? Like the intersection here, I thought, was really smart. 
it's one of those things where it's like the government is letting them experiment on Native American people. That doesn't seem like that. Oh, wait, that happens all the time, right? Like that's the thing that it's just, it was very real in a way that I don't always expect in a Marvel comic. I thought it was cool that they let you do that. What made you want to tell this story? Uh, In all honesty, um, unfortunately, drawing inspiration from real life with Mm -hmm. the... uh, the whole pipeline situation and, and how the government mistreated all those people uh, when they're, when they're fighting to protect their land and protect their water kind of, kind of drew some parallels from that. And I didn't know just how much of that we were going to get in there, but I, I threw it to Steve. In a corporate comic, you never know how much you're going to, yeah. I was, I thought this was a pretty bold political comic. I was impressed by how much yeah, I, I got I, through I, S&P. To Steve to, 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 to comic book it up, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think our, I think our story notes, you just, you pitched that and I was like, I will make it be a comic thing, but it yeah, will also be the thing you're I, talking about. <laughs> See, was it you who had him lift a truck so quickly and powerfully that his shirt ripped open and his tits bounced out? Because I, for one, appreciated that panel. And David Cutler, if you're listening, thank you. I don't think you know this, Connor, but that is a classic wrestling angle. No, uh, I know. I know. But it was the specific. First thing you do when you're doing a walkout is rip that shirt off in anger. So like. I used so to watch. I used to watch. I watched Attitude Era, but I only watched the girls. I was very gay that way. So like I <laughs> I can tell you all about like the feud between Sable and Jacqueline, which we I call guess that was the Divas pre, Awakening. Yeah, I guess that was pre-attitude, Sable and Jacqueline. I was Team Jacqueline for the record. I love a heel. And that's why you like to leave. And she fought the man. I thought that was so cool. As I drink from my wicked queen coffee mm-hmm. mug. <laughs> uh yeah. Surprising no one, I thought that the woman who fought the men and was like an actual like badass athlete and was mean was the more fun character. That was sort of my take. Of course. Good dynamic. taste. Good taste. Yeah. Um, but then I watched into Attitude Era because there were all those video games coming out and I wanted to know like who the people actually were. Also, it was one of the few like recess topics that the little gay boys and little straight boys could talk about together. Literally, it was X-Men <laughs> and pro wrestling, right? Like I feel like those were... It, that is so accurate. <laughs> it was like, let's play X-Men, I'll be Storm. Or like, let's talk about wrestling. Do you love Trish Stratus? I love Trish Stratus for different reasons. Let's talk about it. But like, in a way where I'm not revealing that I'm gay, but we all know I'm gay, right? Like that was sort of a, it was it was good. So I'm grateful to the wide world of world wrestling entertainment for that. AEW is a relatively new promotion, but it has really taken off. I'm very impressed by all of that. Well, thank you. I don't watch a lot of wrestling, but I've watched some of your stuff. I don't mean to interrupt, but depending on when this hits, Nyla, aren't you guys coming up on three years, like next week or something? Yeah, like stupid crazy soon. That's awesome. That's awesome. All I knew about it when it started was that um, that guy is hot and so is his wife and they're very hot together. That could be a number of people. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's Goldust's brother oh cody and brandy yeah no they're so hot and i was just sort of like man those are some good looking people i wish them (laughs) luck in their new venture and they are a good looking couple yeah i just saw them on like tmz or something was like damn you'll soon start following bowens and his boyfriend and you'll have a whole other perspective steve is always trying to drag me back into the world of sports entertainment 
but Line, you know what? Come to the it's fun now. Well, the thing is, like, it's queer and fun and cool now in a way that it wasn't allowed. Like, it always was gay and welcoming. <laughs> and yeah, welcoming. That's what I mean. It's not like sublimated. Like, we all get that this is homoerotic, but it's like we're not going to talk about it. It's now. It's like. There are gay people and trans people and like women who get to actually like fight instead of have a bikini match or whatever. Like it's cool. It's cool to see this stuff. But in any case, I think now before we dig into the making of the issue and your process and stuff, which I would love to hear about because it was your first time writing a comic and I know Steve loves a co-write. So I uh, am keen to hear about what that was like for both of you. But first, I want to pause for the Cerebra character file on John Proudstar, Thunderbird. This is going to be Real brief, guys, because he dies in his third appearance. And then he's come back a couple times. So he does have a full Zaladin's worth of appearances, multiple Zaladin's, in fact. But he uh, does not have a super ton for us to cover. So I will take you through that from Giant Size X-Men number one in 1975 to Giant Size Thunderbird number one in 2022. And then we will come back for more with Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando. We'll talk about that issue And then we will answer questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. John Proudstar, best known by the codename Thunderbird, is noted primarily as the first of the X-Men to die in battle. Created by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, the Apache hero made his debut in 1975's Giant Size X-Men number one, but was always intended to be a temporary character. Nine years after his death on the second Genesis team's second mission, the character was functionally replaced by his younger brother James, or Jimmy, who debuted as the second Thunderbird before taking the new codename Warpath. After his exit, John Proudster appeared only in flashbacks or in stories where he was temporarily resurrected. All that changed in 2021's Trial of Magneto, which enabled the Krakoan circuit called the Five to resurrect mutants who died before the evolution of the Cerebro device, including John. In 2022, he's playing an ongoing role in Al Ewing and Stefano Caselli's X-Men Rad and is the star of his own spotlight one-shot, Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird by Nyla Rose, Steve Orlando, and David Cutler. John Proudstar first appears when he's recruited to the new team of X-Men by Charles Xavier. John is proud, arrogant, and disinterested in fighting some white man's battle, but Xavier taunts him as a coward to goad him into agreeing. Thunderbird was intended to flunk the entrance exam in this first mission and not actually join the team. But Wheaton Cockrum enjoyed the character and decided to keep him around. Then, when mapping out the next story, they quickly realized that on a small team of big personalities, he felt very redundant with Wolverine, a similarly proud, argumentative loner. In that second story, X-Men 94 and 95, The Doomsmith Scenario and War Hunt, plotted by Ween with a script by Chris Claremont, John constantly butts heads with team leader Cyclops. He injures himself in a danger room training exercise, and Cyclops doesn't want to let him back into the field, but John insists on joining the rest of the team in battling the evil Count Nefaria. At the close of the story, Nefaria escapes his self-destructing base in a fighter jet. John leaps onto the aircraft and begins tearing it apart, even though his teammate Banshee and a telepathic projection of Charles Xavier demand that he get off the plane before it explodes. John ignores them and dies in the ensuing fiery crash. At a time when superheroes did not often die, the death of Thunderbird made a pretty big splash. Claremont revisited the John Proudstar character a few times in the 80s after creating his younger brother Jimmy. In the first issue of the classic X-Men reprint title in 1986, a backup feature depicts John trying to make friends with Iceman, who's absolutely bugfuck crazy in this story, and attacks him, presenting the newbies at the Xavier Mansion. 
The third issue of Classic X-Men has a Thunderbird-specific backup. We learn that John returned from the war, presumably Vietnam, with a bitter resentment toward America. At the close of the story, the X-Men bring John's body home to the Camp Verde Reservation in Arizona where he was raised. There he is buried by his younger brother Jimmy, who swears vengeance on Charles Xavier. This is the last John Proudstar story of the 16-year Claremont run. Nine years later, in a month where every title did a minus one flashback issue, John returns in 1997's X-Force Minus One by John Francis Moore and Adam Polina, a story about the childhood of Jimmy Proudstar. By this point in publication, Jimmy, as Warpath, has long since settled his differences with Xavier and become a prominent member of X-Force. This story establishes that John, disdainful of life on the reservation, lied about his age to join the Marines. He was en route to Guantanamo one night when his helicopter was struck by lightning, sending him and the pilot crashing into the sea below. John saved the pilot's life, and the storm came to a sudden end with a bolt of lightning that looked like a bird. He knew his grandfather would say that the Thunderbird had chosen him as his totem. Note that so far as I can determine, the religious and mythic traditions of the Apache tribe feature neither totems nor a Thunderbird. Anyway, John comes back from his two-year tour of duty to find that a Dr. Edwin Martinek has diagnosed his mother with terminal cancer. Michael Whitecloud, a reporter, has determined something is fishy about all this, and he and John, plus Jimmy, who stows away in John's truck, infiltrate Martinek's lab and find he's been using the native locals as test subjects for his genetic experiments, doctoring their test results. John's mother isn't actually sick at all. Martinek has transformed himself into a werewolf, but like a science werewolf, like how Morbius is a science vampire. John is able to fight him off, and Martinek ends up self-destructing the lab to escape. Many years later, in the present, Jimmy and Michael Whitecloud cross paths with Martinek again, but I'll cover that whenever I get to a Warpath episode. There are a couple little flashback stories you don't need to worry about, but the next big Thunderbird story is the 2009-2010 franchise-wide event Necrotia, pegged on the new X-Force title written by Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost, with art primarily by Clayton Crane. This book, which reimagines X-Force as a Black Ops wetwork team, features Warpath as part of the regular cast, and he's to some extent the protagonist of Necrotia. The immortal Huntress Selene is intent on ascending to true godhood and uses a combination of dark sorcery and the techno-organic virus to raise the dead as fuel. Her first test subjects are the Apache of Camp Verde, who were massacred by strife back in the 90s. As John was buried at the reservation, he becomes one of Selene's new servants and fights for her as she begins resurrecting the millions of mutant dead on Genosha. There he battles Jimmy, and his love for his little brother is strong enough that he's able to push through Celine's control and help Jimmy understand the only way to kill her, sneaking past her mystical senses with the traditional Apache ghost dance. After Jimmy slays Celine with her own ritual dagger, John fades back into death, but first the brothers get some nice closure. The following year, John returns from the dead once more in Chaos War X-Men, a two-issue event tie-in written by Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson, with art by Doug Braithwaite. You don't have to worry about Chaos War, but in this tie-in, a bunch of dead X-Men characters, including John and, lol, Moira McTaggart, team up to fight an evil Apache god called the Carrion Crow, a servant of the Chaos King. John learns the value of teamwork and prays to the Thunderbird god of his people, which, again, the Apache don't have a Thunderbird god, I don't think, to defeat the Chaos King. John returns to death contented after bonding in a kind of sweet but also kind of weird way with Sophie of the Stepford Cuckoos. Ten years later, in Jerry Duggan and Pepe Larath's X-Men 1, it's explicitly noted that John cannot be brought back via Krakoan resurrection, because he died before the Shi'ar upgrades to the Cerebro system began downloading mutant mental backups. The X-Men named their new fighter jet the Thunderbird in his honor, which is kind of hilarious, but it seems his story has ended. Until a few months later, at the end of the event miniseries X-Men The Trial of Magneto by Leah Williams and Lucas Vernack. 
Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, in an effort to finally make amends for the decimation she orchestrated years earlier during a psychotic break, works a complex magical ritual to create an astral space she calls the waiting room. Mutant minds from across time are able to enter it of their own volition, obviating the need for a base cerebra backup. One such mind is John Proudstars, and he is the first to be welcomed back to life via this method. In 2022's X-Men Rant by Al Ewing and Stefano Caselli, we see that John has been hanging around the new mutant planet Araco, formerly Mars, where he gets into a fight with Gabriel Summers, a.k.a. Vulcan. Abigail Brand tries to ban John from the planet, which he finds extremely amusing. John then stars in his own spotlight one-shot, Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird, written by Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando, with art by David Cutler, in which he designs a new costume, rejects Krakoa as just another reservation, and reunites with his grandmother, Lozen Proudstar, who had been estranged from the family after she divorced John's grandfather many years ago. After a throwdown with his old enemy, Dr. Edwin Martinek, now employed by the anti-mutant supergroup Orcus, John introduces Lozen to Jimmy, who is astonished to have any living family. John Proudstar's future is yet to be written, but for the first time in his publication history, he is a character operating on his own terms. Not a symbol, not a memory, but a hero and a human being. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back with Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando talking about Thunderbird, John Proudstar. Steve, I know that you were the person in the room really pushing hard for the resurrection of Thunderbird, is my recollection. What was it about this character that you really wanted to get at, and why did you really want to bring him back? Well, I mean, I'm not going to take the, the sole pedestal for that. Leah did a lot And Leah of- also. It was you and Leah, yeah, right? The, the thing is, is, I mean, it was more like we need to, you know, Trial of Magneto has to matter for a variety of reasons and has to have a lasting impact. And obviously, you know, the putting a bow on a lot of the Scarlet Witch's hardships was a push for that. But, you know, she that wasn't going to be a get for the X-Men lines. So right. We needed to do something else. We decided it was going to be the waiting room concept. It was like, how could we symbolize this? And honestly, like there was really only two choices, uh, you know, to, to deal with some of the longest dead mutants and those choices being Changeling uh, and uh, who I think even died before. Uh, Thunderbird did. He did. He's in the sixties. Uh, yeah. And, and, and obviously Thunderbird. Um, and, you know, for a lot of the reasons that Nyla brought up, I, I, I lobbied for Thunderbird. Uh, I think I, I probably because I already had an angle on some level, mm-hmm. but uh, on, on who he might be. But that being said, I also think that he just had more to offer the line, you know, as a, as a character and things like that. That's not to say that there's not a great changeling story out there. I'm sure there isn't. We're going to find it someday. Well, the thing about Changeling that's interesting is that Changeling is a character who dies real quickly because it's the way they fix Professor X dying in the 60s. Is, oh, it was Correct. Changeling. But then he becomes morph on the cartoon. Like this is the, because they couldn't use the name Changeling on the cartoon because Beast Boy at DC was called Changeling at the time. So there was a trademark issue. So they called him Morph on the TV show. So Morph is this character that tons of X-Men fans recognize except he was just changeling who was in like two issues in the sixties. So it's one of those things where someone will one day have a great changeling story, but. Well, and I would also argue that I would also argue that in for comics, I mean, you're right. And then for comics, I would argue that the age of apocalypse slash exiles version. Right. But that character looks so different, you know, 
sure does look like an eraser head. And yet I would love to use him someday. But anyway. Sure, uh, and you could make Changeling look like that after he goes through Arbor Magna. He could be a secondary mutation or something. I mean, by definition, Connor, I can make him look like anything. Of course you can. And <laughs> I'm not giving, not to give away free ideas on my podcast. I'm just saying. No, I also think that it was a nice bit of thematic synergy with the way that Jerry's X-Men in the first issue emphasized Thunderbird as like this martyr for the cause, this person who we can't bring back. We've named the new Blackbird the Thunderbird in his honor, which, by the way, naming a plane after Thunderbird <laughs> to honor him <laughs> felt a little bit insensitive to me. But you know what? I, I took that as, as Jerry's sense of humor, which is always a little bit dark. The next virus is going to be called Colossus as well. But anyway, yeah, well, there uh, you go, right? The thing, the thing too that I would point out, you know, and we saw it in this issue and we've seen it in Elle's work and, and Vita's work too with, with Thunderbird is like, yeah, Changeling was before him, but there were ready-made conflicts. You know, the thing about mm-hmm. Thunderbird is even though he only arrived, he was only there for three issues. But he can't stand Scott. He's fighting yeah, with no, everybody. He thinks Wolverine is a soft clown. He thinks, you know, like Cyclops is a stuck-up asshole. And he's not wrong. He's at least 50% right about all that stuff. Well, and what's interesting about that is that the real Thunderbird, who was kind of an asshole, is very different from the sainted Thunderbird that these people have imagined as like a myth that they've created since his death. And that's one of the cool things about Krakoa is that like these people actually come back and they might not be who you want them to be. You know, they want to bring him back as this great hero of Krakoa. And he takes one look at Krakoa and says, two white men make a reservation and call it freedom, which is a really great line. And he bounces. He's like, no, I'm good, actually. Pretty sure that was Steve's, but it was tricky because we we basically did like the DBZ fusion dance mm-hmm. and like we may have written two different things, but they were they were the same idea. Like, yeah, freakily consistently. Nyla's much taller than me in real life, though. So that'd be not much. Strange. It was real strange. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> I, I would... How tall are you, Nyla? Five, seven, like six, eight, you know. <laughs> Yeah, my TV height is six eight. Well, right, and well, you got—I'm sure you got heels on. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, like I always say this with Teeny because, like, Teeny is five nine, five ten. I forget, but like, she's always got heels on. So I'm five eight, but when we stand next to each other, we look like Doug Ramsey and Bay the Blood Moon. Like she's just <laughs> towering above me. But yeah, I mean, I, so I liked that, and I thought that that really made sense. Thunderbird is a character who was created to die is the other thing. Like from Inception, the point was a couple of these characters don't make it. Sunfire is going to quit and Thunderbird's going to die. There is something to me also powerful about, and I love Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, do not get me wrong by any means, but I think there is something powerful about saying this Native American hero who was created by white men to die to serve this narrative should get to have his own narrative and his own journey. And I'm I'm excited to see what comes of it. And also, you know, we should just make sure it's Nyla because really like he, you know, much like Magneto was right, like Thunderbird was right. Like, you know, Xavier brought him back, but he's the most morally compromised he's been in years, you know? like <laughs> yeah. Charles? Well, sure. Well, mm, yeah, like now, I, is, I wouldn't say the most. Charles has been in way darker places. <laughs> I mean, he... I mean, he's back at the perfect time because, you know, Cyclops kind of is a big, I mean, has always been kind of a big asshole. 
you know, Wolverine's a family man now, quote unquote. So like, I, I look forward to all these confrontations because he's just going to just check in boxes, you know, whether he's right or wrong, he's going to see it as like, shit, I was right about all this. Look at yeah. All this. Well, and what's fun is that he doesn't really know any of these people. Like they all know this version of him that they've created for political importance and and in there like we honor him or whatever but in reality they knew him for like a week and he didn't like them very much so i think that there is a lot of fun potential there because that team that giant sized team plus the 80s characters have such a cachet in universe with mutants generally right like those are the classic X-Men, people listen to Storm or Nightcrawler or whoever. And so this guy can show up and be like, well, I was there. Uh, and I disagree with everything they just said, which is, to me, interesting. I think he also, though, is very real in another way, which is like, I was, um, I reread all his appearances for this <laughs> because there aren't super tons of them. I have always found his death scene to be peculiar in the sense that it feels to me like almost a suicide. Is that something that either of you ever read into it? I was just curious because that colored my reading of this issue also. For me, no, but that is a very interesting outlook and I, and now I'm going to have to go back and reread it. Cause they're all like, you have to get off the plane. It's going to explode. And he's like, no. And you could see it as him being arrogant, but especially there's those classic X-Men backups where we learn, and, and in X-Force Minus One, we learn more about like his service overseas in what presumably in the sliding timescale was Vietnam, but like we'll never really know because we can't say. Because I think, aren't shifts. they, don't they have that placeholder one for all of it now? Now it's it probably Sian called? Kong, but yeah, but I try not to, that's a whole can of worms. But yeah, I mean, I, to me, my reading of it is sort of like he has like a PTSD, like a nom flashback mm, kind mm, of moment mm. on the plane. But then the question is like, did he mean to go down with the plane? And I just don't know. But I felt like in Al's issue of Red, when Cable says, you weren't there for Jimmy, you had a plane to catch. It felt to me almost like Cable was accusing him of abandoning Jimmy intentionally. There's just something really interesting to me about the the sadness and the anger in this character. And I thought that you guys brought that out really well, while at the same time, by the end of the issue, giving him a stable family in a way that none of those characters, him or his brother, have had with the grandmother and taking that picture, like the picture that they took back when they were kids. Like, I loved that bit. Where would you, without spoiling the gritty details <laughs> of your potential future plans, like where would you two like to take this character if you had an opportunity? That is a very interesting question. I definitely would lean hard on Steve for that one. Uh, what, what would make the most sense? But like you had, had mentioned, I think just watching the interactions between him and all the his old teammates and mm -hmm. trying to find his place you know uh, among the you know what's going on now in the world of x-men krakoa and just even the modern world right because how much time has passed is nebulous again but right. it's enough time that it would be like he never had a cell phone i'm sure you know right right you know and then you know having somebody have a good laugh with him and 
tell him, oh, yeah, set up a profile on Grinder, you know, and then like he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, I've got an axe to grind. Yeah, let's, you know, sure, yeah. <laughs> and then he gets on there and he's surprised. But yeah, things like that. There's well, he'd do very well because on... <laughs> as no just doubt. a torso, no that's quite, quite a torso. <laughs> to have but but yeah like just things like that there's like you said there's there's so many avenues to explore um and for me like if this is the end of my blessing being a part of this i have had a blast and i look forward as a fan just watching where this goes but uh if if i can have a part in it i absolutely would love to well the response to the issue has been really really positive from pretty much all corners so i would love to see more and i hope that you get that opportunity i mean he and i will say until then he's certainly going to be tooling around mars i thought it was adorable i mean l i mean l gets it we talk about it a lot but he gets it like you know brand borrowed john from being on mars and i feel like that's just the funniest shit to him you know as if if he would ever listen to her the second thing she does is she's like here on mars and storm is like araco and she's like mars yes that's (laughs) what i said and you're like wow you are just odious aren't you uh, <laughs> she's a great villain. I'm very excited to see where that book goes. But yeah, I I am excited to see what the future holds for his character. One of my favorite bits is that he is shorter than Jimmy now, which is a great, like in terms of the <laughs> you're back and the world has changed. That's a really great detail. I want to see more of uh, more of Grandma Lozen. Like I I do still think that there should be a little like Ma Guthrie neighborhood on uh, like a na- like the lucinda guthrie development gated oh, community n- nobody misses for- grandma nobody yeah misses. but like for with the for the human <laughs> family members of the x-men because you know it's dangerous yeah. out there these days people want to hurt krakoa it would be nice if like their moms and dads and grandparents and siblings and whatnot could come chill in a cool human town on krakoa it would be like <laughs> i mean i pitched i pitched the scene to l i you don't know this nyla and it may happen so if it happens you heard it here first but i was like you know to be clear like not only would john go back and drink at the red lagoon but he would absolutely bring his human grandmother and not give a fuck love that yeah like, and he would just be like by all means, please say something, you know, yeah, but, please. Like, he wouldn't give a shit. Please. Say I also loved that grandma was a wrestling fan referring to. <laughs> Where did that come from? We don't know. <laughs> I mean, but I liked that. She, but I liked specifically the callback to the grapplers, like screaming Mimi, who has been songbird ever since Thunderbolts back in the 90s. But that's how you know this is an old woman who's been at this a long time because <laughs> she remembers when screaming Mimi had the belt or whatever, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I just, I really enjoyed this. The pull of Martinek was really great. That, I was just like, Steve. Actually, the thing in this issue that I truly feel the need to address. Steve, did you really put the Spider-Man clone saga villain Judas Traveler in Orcus? Uh, Well, you know, the X-Men office does everything as a team, Connor. (laughs) Okay, but if if you were, if I were to guess, which person in that very collaborative office brought up 90s Spider-Man villain, Judas Traveler. I would say- And mutant, and mutant. He is a mutant. No, so like a mutant Judas, literally. Who is a literal Judas. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) That's just, that is a character I truly never thought I would ever see again. And then when I saw the glove, when he was talking to the Heritage Initiative people, I was like, oh my God, Steve, you fricking psycho but i love it (laughs) it's like i feel like every issue of marauders there's like a deep deep cut to some character who has been seen twice ever and not in 20 years and i love that about it. well the thing about judas 
is yeah i mean he was huge in the 90s right right yeah but like in an infamous story it's a poll but i think it's a different kind of poll because he has he was like a big character it's not like pulling out you know smear jacob the tree guy you know it just felt like you know we needed to start filling out the petals on the orchis flower and uh I guess it hasn't been revealed what pedal he's on, but his role fit him very well, you know, uh, especially, you know, as someone who spent years putting himself over as like a godlike being. It turns out he's just kind of like shitty mastermind, you know, <laughs> and, and, it's all, it's all and like being shitty mastermind is an accomplishment because mastermind is pretty shitty, you know, so that's true. That's his true. power is good. He's but he's a pretty shitty guy. Yes. What was the process like working together? Truly, like like I said, I, I felt like I was at a, a high level executive celebrity party that I had no business being at. <laughs> it it felt like, um, you know, and, and even though Steve and I were on the same page a lot of times, it felt like he was pouring glasses of some well-aged wine and I just broke out a bottle like MD 2020. Sure. <laughs> you know, he his his writing was was like old timey war letters, like my oh dearest my April, it is, <laughs> it is treacherous on this here battlefield. And <laughs> it I has been deeply. four weeks since I last saw. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, Barbara is hot. I want to come home. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fucking burial. <laughs> but, but Steve, <laughs> what, what was, what was it like? learning to script comics or like to get that. It was, it was fun. That's, it's a tricky format. It is. It is. But I think I might have a knack for it if I can toot my own horn. There you go. That's cool. Cause, cause I, every time I would turn something in, I was expecting some kind of like <laughs> beratement or like bitch, what harsh, are you doing? This yeah, is not like what harsh this is. <laughs> and Steve was like, Hey, this is great. This is great stuff. And I'm like, work. <laughs> you know because i i don't have that background in comics so i approached it much like how i would write a script for like a movie or like some sketch comedy or something mm -hmm. you know i i approached it how i dissect this right because you're also an actress yes so so i approached it how i dissect a scene it was, it was like some weird double reverse engineering uh, i approached it how i approach a scene for acting in which case you dissect it and, and you know reconstruct it uh kind of backwards so here it was like doing that and then putting it back together and then redoing it again because mm -hmm. I have to come up with the dialogue for, you know, this character instead of having the dialogue. But then now I'm trying to create a character, you know, I'm, I'm trying to create the dialogue for a character that I'm creating the dialogue for. So it's is a little confusing, but. I got up and I'm acting the stuff out in my living room, playing every part. Well, he certainly cuts some promos in this issue. Like oh, there, yeah. are, there oh, are a bunch yeah. of like, he points at the <laughs> WrestleMania sign a couple times, <laughs> a you know? Few times, a few times. <laughs> but I think this issue got Thunderbird over. Like I hear a lot Oh my of... God, Connor, you've read every, I'm, you've clearly <laughs> read every single wrestling term. I know that. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. My No, no, no. I know this stuff. My friend, Rachel Millman, who is actually also my client, she hosts the podcast WrestleSplania. I know like wrestling stuff. I just don't watch it consistently because quite honestly, it's like Love Island. I can't commit to that many nights a week. I already <laughs> am watching so many Housewives franchises. And like, like, that's really, that's my sports entertainment is the real Housewives. God, I, well, Nyla, what else could we get into this podcast? I guess we got to get our shit in, huh? <laughs> 
we got it. What? What? Uh, we, we touched on Love Island, Desperate Housewives, no, Real Housewives. No, not the Real Housewives. The Real Real Housewives. Real Housewives. I wonder if there's yeah. any other jargon Connor could learn on this podcast. I mean, you're the official. Well, here. so Martin X kind of a jobber. Why did you throw him in there <laughs> instead? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Obviously, it's because he was a personal enemy to them. He experimented on their mom. Or yada yada. No, you said yeah. it, Connor. He was a jobber. He was overdue for a push. Yeah. John went to shoot on him. There you go. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. No, and I talk about face turns and heel turns on this podcast all the time. I know what I'm doing. But again, this was one of the only things that tiny faggots and tiny jocks could talk about. I was like, please shut up about the girls. Nobody cares. And you were, I think, wait a minute. Can I hit them all? You were especially happy, though, when John S. Lozen to kayfabe the fact that he came back from the dead. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. Brilliant. Brilliant. I actually wanted to ask about that because like the kayfabe that they're all doing of like, I wasn't actually like Jumbo Carnation being like, oh, I was just in hiding when his death was like a tragedy <laughs> that was reported in mass media is really funny to me. I have been wondering how the secret of resurrection has been kept tight because you see someone like John who doesn't really give a shit tell her she is trustworthy as it turns out, but she could tell people. I, it was an interesting scene to see because I had wondered if like Emma put something in everyone's heads where it's like, if you try to say it, you like start speaking Esperanto or something. You know what I mean? But it seems like everybody's just being really well behaved. Until they're not. Until uh, they're so not. Are. And, and we will. And, and for that, for watch now. the next couple, and, you know. Yeah, for that, check out <laughs> Judgment Day coming this summer in which it seems that Moira McTaggart's been very naughty. Available on iTunes. No, uh, everybody has been, yeah. You'll see that. All, I mean, it's playing it right now. It's not a spoiler that Ben Urich has been following. Well, Ben Urich's been investigating, right. But like then Sink pulled it out of his head. Into his sinkhole. I guess, yeah. Why not? I almost gave you an aneurysm there. I was really. I, mm, I was just I'm, like, it's more just. We I, I think maybe it's called a sinkussy, as opposed to a sinkhole. Wow. But um, this is a bit blue. It's so, a blue podcast. So about that, anything else? Yeah. So uh, anything else that we were talking? About? Oh, um, I think now is a great time for us to get into the listener questions. Lots of people wrote in with thoughts. I was pleasantly surprised because, again, this is not a character who has a ton of history, but a lot of people responded to this issue and also, I think, to the idea of making this character matter as a person and not just as a symbol. Christian Smith writes, Hi, everyone. Congrats on season three, and congrats on the giant-sized Thunderbird issue. So, John Proudstar, his defining character trait has been dead, or not Jimmy, really for the last 40 years. Did the lack of a definitive character, but a huge amount of almost mythical status in terms of how other characters speak about him, make it a challenge to write what's essentially a brand new character? Or was that a benefit? As ever, make mine madcap cerebro accents. And then similarly, James White asks, how do you tackle a character like John who's got so little on-panel history yet is iconic in terms of X-Men history and who's also rooted in both the Vietnam War and a very 1970s outsider's view of indigenous American lives? Is there a balance between making him recognizably the same person given that his initial stories were so brief and also making him suitable for a 2020s audience? Thanks. So how did you guys approach those questions of making him real, making him fit the old stories but be something new? I mean, I think the answer and my answer is short and Nyla's will probably be longer. Like this partnership, this creative partnership is the answer, right? Like there are things that I under, 
stood about the character, for example, being an asshole is not owned by one soul no. culture. <laughs> uh, but the way that we do that is 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 like you know is by putting the team behind the book that we did. You know, like that might seem like a cop out answer, but a lot of these are are nuances that can only be told by folks with their with some actual lived experience. So, uh, you know, to me, the, the solution was in the creative team and then, you know, getting out of the way uh, to let them do everything they can. Um, and with, I'm going to do that right now uh, and see if there's more, more nuance from Nyla. But to me, that's the answer, right? Like you solve that by doing what they couldn't do 50 years ago when he was around. Actually, I don't see this. Is what I mean, we're too much in sync. I don't exactly have a much different answer, but I definitely saw it as a gift because you had all this potential of like what could be true what's not true and rather than shy away from anything or 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 play hard and fast with the rules so to speak it was kind of like the rules of improv yes and you know it's like Mm -hmm. what do we what do we want to be true what do we want to keep as a myth you know we really have the uh, unique benefit that we can go anywhere with this character and kind of reshape what people may have thought to be true um and then the flip side of that coin is like steve said just the creative partnership the whole team um someone with someone like steve with such a vast knowledge of having worked on like every book in the universe (laughs) (laughs) able to help help guide you know me who's just a lowly fan living out this crazy fan experience so it very much was a blessing in my opinion. Well, I think that it's a nice thing to see a fan with a platform and a personal experience that's relevant brought into the fold by an experienced writer to create something that is both artistically and stylistically well done, but also really authentic because like writing a comic is not easy. I can tell you that because I'm working on something right now and it turns out that writing comics is a lot harder than talking about other people's comics. Who knew? So, (laughs) you know, I, I think that it's cool that you got that opportunity. I think it's cool that you found that you have kind of a knack for it or an interest in it. And I'm excited to see what you do next, whether it's with Thunderbird or something else. I think that this issue was a bold statement of your ability as a talent in this medium. Well, thank you. Elysia Noir writes, hello, Connor, Nyla, love you in AEW and Steve. When it comes to Thunderbird, I always wondered about his potential after reading and rereading the Claremont run. John being a bigger asshole than Logan fascinated me because of the sheer chaos it brought to the team, especially when he butted heads with Scott. I understand he wasn't popular at the time, but I feel like if given the chance, he could have turned into a fan favorite like the others did. I enjoyed Claremont's expanded Thunderbird story in Classic X-Men 3, where we get flashbacks of John interacting with his teammates, along with Jimmy's emotional goodbye to his brother. How do you think John will interact with those teammates going forward? They've all made huge strides over the years, whereas John himself obviously couldn't. Al Ewing recently described John as being a man out of time. That makes sense since it had been nearly 50 years, or I don't know, a decade in comics time since his death, and his peers have passed him by. In Classic X-Men 3, he was trying to compete with Logan. Will we see that competitiveness again? Will he punch poor Scott if he sees him, or will they talk it out like good, well-behaved men? Do you think he'd listen to Aurora if he joins her brotherhood team? Signed, Elysia Noir. What are your thoughts on that? I think the answer is always punch Scott. No, <laughs> as a Madeline Pryor head, I don't disagree. But when in doubt, punch Scott. Sure. I don't know. Like for me, from my point of view, I kind of would like to see. I definitely want to see some of the the uh, conflict more 
more of the butting of heads, but I, I would love to see John kind of like maybe, I don't want to say have a softer approach, but like kind of be on the same page, like a mutual respect almost mm-hmm. with someone like Logan. You may not may not like him or like how he does things was like, OK, you know, I, I get it. Like you're not as big of a jackass as I thought you were. Um, but yeah, then then punch Scott for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do think at the very least he should confront Scott for naming a plane after him. Like, oh, yeah. come on, my guy. Nyla is dead on. Although it's funny, like the th- Logan and 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 John do value different things, right? Like I think that he, yeah, he he may he might have softened him a little bit, but clearly we've shown family is super super important to mm-hmm. to, to John, and I think that he would definitely think Logan was still a clown for at minimum I would say at being a checkered. Uh, questionable father over the past hundred years. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, you know, like there are things that Logan does that I think would really piss off John more than other people because to him, like family is kind of the only thing. That's the only right. place he puts the facade down. Uh, and there's no question out of all those people, like with Storm, game recognizes game. John doesn't suffer fools, but Storm is no fool. Yeah, he comes across so, a little like 1975 chauvinistic in that initial story with her, but it's the 70s. And I, I think that when he sees her now, he'll just be like, okay, damn, like, go ahead then, you know, because I think he would recognize in her someone who, like himself, was not taken as seriously by the white people, using them as weapons, yeah. you know? I mm-hmm. think their, their, their first, their first reaction will be some version, some version of him being happy she finally got that bag, and in her case, that bag is an entire fucking solar system. Is the, yeah, the solar system, uh, why not, <laughs> you know? I would love to see him on the brotherhood that Storm is building. I think that would be really cool. X-Men Red 2 just came out this week as we're recording, and I loved it. So I can't wait to see where Al goes with all of those characters. It's my favorite Storm in 30 years. I mean, like, <laughs> like it feels like Claremont's Storm, but doing something new, which is crazy. The thing about Thunderbird on X-Men Red and in Iraq, I was that like, he's not the strongest person. Like he's not right. an Omega, but I don't think that that is like, to me, that makes him, I, Nyla and I talked about it a little bit. To me, he's kind of like the Ben Grimm of Krakoa. Sure. Right? Like, thing is not going to win every fight, but he's going to get, he almost never beats the Hulk, but he's going to fight him every time. Yeah. I always think of him as sort of like, you know, like Hercules, the Avenger is like not as strong as the Hulk, not as like mighty a god as Thor, right? Like it's a little bit down. It's a little weird that he's not, but he's not. But he's not. He just isn't. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that Thunderbird fits a fun niche there where like, you know, even on the team that he was on, it was like, okay, he's like good in the wilderness, but not as good in the wilderness as Wolverine. He's a strong dude, but he doesn't turn into metal like Colossus. Like there were only so many... He was a little bit redundant within the team, which is partly how you know that he wasn't intended to stay around very long. Right. But I think that that creates an opportunity also because you can put a character like that on a team and then say, I mean, to me, much as I love Storm, for instance, the characters who are not Omega-level god mutants are often more interesting to me than the characters who have limitless power because it's more about how you choose to use what you have. And I think that he, from what we've seen since his resurrection, is someone very aware of exactly how much strength he has and exactly how he could best use it. And I think that that's cool. Mm. 
Mike Layton writes, hello, Connor, and astonishing guests. My exposure to Mr. Proudstar, at least in my memory, was not only Giant Size X-Men, but also his very notable incarnation in The Exiles. I always really liked that, John, and in particular, the arc where he met another version of himself that had become the new shaman and joined Alpha Flight. My question is that with the Exiles version of Thunderbird being prominent for those many arcs, do you have any guesses as to why he wasn't revived or at least brought into the main 616 world like Nocturne was for a while? Thanks and have a fantastic day. Mike, a.k.a. Cinema Freak from the Discord. So did you read Exiles at all, Nyla? It's like a... I did not. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> he was prominent in that book. He was in that story the alternate version of him he was one of the horsemen of apocalypse he had like a tragic tale he had a romance with nocturne who was nightcrawler and the scarlet witch's daughter from another oh, reality right, right, right. and she did make it to the main universe but that's because chris claremont liked her you know and yeah. she was a girl like what do you <laughs> chris claremont barely could find anything for colossus to do he's not going to bring you an alternate <laughs> universe thunderbird uh, and i think that's really as as simple as that. And uh, Steve, did you have something you wanted to say? Well, I was just going to say, you sort of saw a clearing of the decks of quote-unquote duplicate characters before yes. House of X. You know, like, and, and obviously they're not exact duplicates, but you know, you saw Bloodstorm go away, for right. example. You saw, um, Dark Beast. Yeah, I don't know if Nocturne was killed then. She went back to her home planet, basically, is my recollection. Like, I can only hazard a guess. I only joined the office a year and a half ago, but I would guess that the reasoning is something like that, right? Like, if they were going to... First of all, no one thought they were going to break Thunderbird back. The regular one, right, yeah. But if they were, it would be the main one. I think that's why you've seen a de-emphasis on some other characters, too, that are still out there. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Hudson, for example, who's not dead. He's just... He's been just, like, chilling. Isn't he, like... Wasn't he turned into, like, a poison or whatever? I wasn't... He sure is a poison. I hate all the symbiote stuff, so I don't really care. And no offense well, to symbiote fans. I'm just not, I'm not a symbiote person. I'm sorry. Poisons are not, oh, are they not symbiotes? Listen, I'm sorry. No, they can I don't... assume symbiotes. They're the enemy of okay, symbiotes. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I don't mean to be symbiotist. Like I wasn't implying <laughs> that all predatory carnivorous alien parasites are the same. I'm just saying it looked like a symbiote plot to me. And I was kind of checked out because I don't really care about symbiotes. Well, the Brood Queen would like a word, but... I like the Brood Queen, just saying. Um, yeah, I mean, that's also why Blink has just not been that prominent a character because the problem with Blink, like the central problem with Blink is that the one everybody cares about is the Age of Apocalypse Blink, who then was in Exiles, and that's not the Blink that's on Krakoa. So it's like, what do you do with... Like, how do you do that? The answer actually is what Al Ewing did with Moondragon, where Moondragon and the alternate universe Moondragon did a fusion dance, and now it's just whichever Moondragon you want at any given time. And I think that's probably the right answer, but someone would have to want to tell that story, I guess, you know? Mike Smith writes, Mike Smith from Texas here. Please do an accent. I can <laughs> ask you to. That's fantastic. Hello to our uncanny guest and always astonishing host. I've been listening since the beginning and being a flat scan, this show has really opened my eyes to how amazingly LGBTQ the X-Men have always been. Though John Proudstar, maybe not so much. You never know. He hasn't been super developed. I say we get him on Grinder, like Nyla said, and just see what happens. <laughs> it's a whole new world since he died. As an Exiles fanboy from way back, I know John mostly as a character in that book who had been made into the Horseman of War by Apocalypse. Do you think any of the characterization from that version will be used going forward in the same way that Blink influenced the Clarice Ferguson of 616? Please keep up the podcast as it queers my day just a tad. And until Emma joins the thruple, make mine Cerebro. 
So I think the thing there is that that version of the character was, again, really tied up in like Archangel-style apocalypse angst that this character doesn't have. So I just think that would be difficult to, to carry through. But um, I was surprised and uh, intrigued by how many of you wrote in. There were more than just those two with thoughts about Exiles Thunderbird, a character I have not thought about in a very long time. So <laughs> I'm glad. I am always glad that everybody has fans. It makes me, it makes me happy. You know what I mean? I mean, listen, if we were bringing random alternate universe characters around, the Marauders would be captained by Wild Thing and none of you, oh and, and, and you would all abandon, you would all abandon me. So. I cannot follow you to a place of Wild Thing. I simply can't. I mean, maybe, maybe the Fallen too. There's a long list. I anyway. like the Fallen. Mutant X is fun. Like all of those characters are fun. Greg Griff writes, Dear Mr. Connor Goldsmith and esteemed guests, Nyla Rose and Steve Orlando, if this question is too heavy, I understand. I know a lot of this could just be projecting, but as someone who's dealt with depression and self-hatred in my life, I always relate to John and his anger and read his death as partially suicidal. John seemed to be so angry about a lot of things, justifiably so, and I think that extended internally as well. He had a much younger brother at home who looked up to him, so he couldn't end his life because like many who deal with suicidal ideation, they try to stay strong for their loved ones. But in that moment, he stayed on the plane, dying as a hero. I think this ties well into his anger at Cable because he's angry at himself for not being the one to be there for Jimmy. I'm just curious if anyone else felt that way or if it's just me, LOL. Keep up the great work on the podcast. All the best, Krakow and Greg. Well, obviously that is my, that's always been my interpretation of the character. And I think that that's what Cable was saying when he said you had a plane to catch. It's like you bounced when your brother needed you. But Nyla said that it wasn't her reading. Steve, what do you think about that? Um, I think it's a valid read. I can't, uh, you know, I, I'm going to give people, uh, you know, obviously. Yeah, I think it's an interpretation thing, you know, like you can choose your own adventure there. Uh, it certainly wasn't my read either, but it's also a valid read. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's, Nick's, you know, slips between the cracks. You know, I have immense sympathy for people who do struggle with that. Balance with the fact that my personality is very similar to John's and I don't struggle with that. So like there, sure, there, there, are, right. lot, there, there, are, there are a lot of ways that plenty of angry people who are not suicidal and go, but that being said, while it wasn't, well, I, you know, while it wasn't necessarily our, our initial read, uh, I, I don't really believe that we can control something when it's out there. So if, if folks are, are feeling, uh, you know, empowered and seen by that, then it's also accurate, you know? Uh, we can't, authorial intent is great, but everybody puts their own lens on something. So uh, I, I'm excited people have different reads on it. And, and I can't say it's canon until it's set on the page, but it's all valid. Well, right. You know? I just think it's an interesting potential avenue for story. And I think that if you wanted to explore the question of a suicide being resurrected on Krakoa, I think characters like Thunderbird and Blindfold would be a way, because Blindfold is doing that in, in Legion of Acts in the preview. We're talking about how she killed herself in the Rosenberg run and now is back, sort of. It's complicated. Didn't, um, oh wait, no, that didn't, I was going to say, didn't Wing kill himself, but, or was he influenced by danger? He was influenced by danger, so I don't know that it necessarily, like, she kind of made him believe that he could fly, right? Like, well, I'm asking because I don't remember, so you could, you could tell me anything. I hate the Joss Whedon run, and I haven't read that issue in a while, so I'd have to go back. And that's, I don't usually go negative on this podcast, but I'm just gonna, I'm not, not huge. I'm actually gonna reread that arc soon because Danger's back now in Wolverine and I wanna catch up on some of her stuff because I've forgotten most of it. That's the real answer. 
I could bring random X-Men back, it would be the C, it would be some members of the Seagull Kelly Cerebro X-Men from 1997. The Grey King and uh, what's and her name? would really abandon me. I'm actually surprised no one's ever done that. And most of all, I'm surprised that you haven't already done it. Well, but they're not real. No, I know. I know. But <laughs> there's nothing to bring back. Life finds a way, Stephen. It was, wow. Okay. Here's what I was going to say. I, I think that tackling that subject through John or through Ruth is a better way of doing it than tackling it through Larry Bodine, which is something that a lot of people have said, like, should Larry Bodine be brought back in Krakoa? And while, like, intellectually, my position is yes, I also would understand if writers didn't want to touch that story because it is such a iconic, moving story from the classic Claremont stuff. So this would be a way of... of sort of teasing at that without saying, and this character who famously died by suicide is now back and fine, like, which is not, you know, that's, it's more loaded potentially than just saying, well, sometimes you make a snap decision and it didn't work out so well. And it was based on all kinds of factors, but John is glad to be alive again or, you know, whatever. And that could be an interesting thing to explore because he has been given a second chance. So that's my answer to that question. Thank you for sharing that personal struggle, Griff, because that's not easy to talk about. And I'm, I'm glad that you're doing well uh, and that you see yourself in this character, whether or not it's what they intended or whether or not it's what gets picked up by other writers. As I'm always saying on this podcast, what matters most is what you take away from, from these characters and their situations and the metaphors that are threaded throughout all of these comics. Jeremy Lawrence writes, Hi, Connor, Nyla, and Steve. I have to start out by saying this Cerebro episode with the second ever AEW Women's Champion is the biggest crossover of my specific <laughs> special interests that I never knew I needed until this exact moment. Anyway, that's enough marking out for one email. That's one we didn't say. <laughs> that's enough marking out for one email. My question is for Nyla. If Thunderbird was a pro wrestler, what would his finisher be? Would it be a blue thunderbomb? I know that's more of a transitional move in the current world of wrestling, but with a man as yoked as John Proudstar, I think he could put most people away with one. Also, should superheroes in general have signature finishing moves with special names? And why is the answer yes? Thanks to all of you for broadening my ideas of what superhero comics and pro wrestling can be and mean. Make mine Cerebro and AEW for life, Jeremy. That's, that's a tough one. Um... I, I don't know why, though, but I totally see Thunderbird, I see John Proudstar hitting a very simple clothesline from hell, just like a monster lariat a la JBL. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but that's it's simple and effective. Yeah, like a big Zangief from Street Fighter style. Yeah. Just like get him in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think he'd do, he'd, he'd probably have like a cool setup for it. But yeah, he'd, he'd rear back and just literally probably take someone's head off. I do like moves with names. I mean, the fastball special, which is a very iconic piece of mutant technology, a classic X Men move, is a tag team move, right? Yeah. You, know, you got to throw. I aspire at some point before Rogers over to do the light speed special with uh, <laughs> with Aurora, Akihiro, and Aurora, but I haven't figured it out yet. Because she'd have to throw him, right? Uh, I mean, or like Grant Morrison Flash style, like spin around the world and then grab him and stab. Sure. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Regenerate. You know, I mean, he would die or almost, but he'll be fine. <laughs> well, he's got a better. healing factor. He exactly. Will. He'll be fine. And I have definitely on more than one occasion when talking to like a tag partner have, hey, are you familiar with uh, Colossus and, and uh, Wolverine? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. De definitely brought that up. Like, if he threw a small person at another person in the ring, I would 
be very excited. I don't know who that is. Oh, on more, on more than one occasion. Who is it? I feel like you could throw Riho like a javelin at someone. I've thrown, it, these are my partners. I've thrown Momono Mio in Japan. I've thrown Aja Pereira, who's now a ref in uh, the E. I've thrown Renee Michelle. <laughs> like, what I'm saying is, you might want to think twice about being my partner. I will use you as a weapon. In the fourth episode of this podcast, Maddie Lebchansky and I talked about how it is fully insane that Colossus has never fastball specialed magic with the soul sword into something. And uh, <laughs> someone in the X office needs to do that because I've, it's now been a year and a half and I'm longing for We need, I gotta, yeah, I just need to go into my, my knowledge from when I was forced to play baseball and just also come up with how many other types of special puns we can do. (laughs) I'm just considering who the, who is the densest X-Men? Because then we could be, it could be the hardball special. Is it Diamond Lil? (laughs) Uh, Diamond Lil or, um, I mean, oh no, actually, Shinobi Shaw and Harry Leland have density you know, the Leland thing is a weird thing. This is a non sequitur, so I'll keep it quick. But I thought his powers were gravity-based from the cartoon, and then now everybody's saying he has density powers. It's always been density. I feel like it's when, for two minutes on a trading card, Maverick had a different power than he's always had. And it was in one trading card in the 90s where you could see 10 seconds into the future. But then it, it was like it was an error on the card. And so when I got his Jim Chung book back in the day and he was doing like the Bishop style stuff, I was like, what is this shit? Yeah. But anyway. What is this? Well, that's what we call now in the modern age, what I have called wiki drift on this show, which is like, you know, actually a great example is in Immortal X-Men number two, Hope and Exodus talk about his confidence based powers, which is something that he didn't have until someone put it on a wiki because they misunderstood like, I feel empowered by prayer and thought it was literal, but then writers referenced that. I mean, now he has that power, so I'm not calling Kieran out, but it's one of those things where like, it would be like if you wrote Maverick and gave him that power because you read that trading card. I mean, Sometimes don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Don't think it's not on the table. But I also already get, I thought the power was so good, I also already gave it to a DC villain I created, so I, I, and I don't like to repeat mm. my powers, so, so that does get in the way of Fair, 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 fair. Zach Jenkins writes, Nyla and Steve and Connor, although this question is absolutely not for me, (laughs) so I will leave it to all of you. Jimmy and John get thrown into a four-way tag team with the Young Bucks, the Best Friends, and the Jungle Express. Do the brothers Proudstar come out on top? Would John cut a killer promo? Does Jimmy have a sick finisher? These are the important questions people need to know. Bless Zachary. I'm going to go with no. I think uh, I think the Bucks I think the Bucks win because I, I don't think uh, John was ready for Brandon Cutler's cold spray to the eyes. I was going to say, do you really think they could possibly hit the Melser on guys that big? Like, <laughs> get a hernia. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they would they would win and then prolapse and then the show would be canceled. <laughs> pro wrestling is also such as I mean I don't have to tell this to Nyla, the former women's champion, but pro wrestling is also such a specific choreographed form that is very different from like just being John Proudstar and hitting people. <laughs> so I think that you'd have to first like teach them how to have the discipline. Connor, to... Connor, Connor brings up a good point, Nyla. Does AEW have the uh, closed fist rule that they bring up whenever they want at the other place? Listen, I, I, I don't know. I tend to get away with it. No, no. <laughs> I was going to say, because John would just be, it would be like Indiana Jones and like, you know, he would just hit some guy and his head would be gone, but then he would be DQ'd. I've, I've gotten a stern talking to from a referee, but nobody's, nobody's stopped a match yet. So 
it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly right. Keep up what you're doing because it's clearly <laughs> working. I mean, again, only one of the people sitting in this Zoom has an action figure of herself. And it's you. So clearly... <laughs> Something's doing all right. It's working. Okay. Just keep it up. Just keep up what you're doing. Last question. Krakoa Welcomes writes, which X-Men do you think had the best deaths, factoring in how and when they came back? Thunderbird is a great example because I think the death and the resurrection are both good. So Mazeltov to the team on that one. It's hard when you bring in the resurrection factor because some of those have been really bad. Like I think Colossus's death from the legacy virus to cure the virus is one of the best deaths in a comic book. But the way he comes back in the Whedon run, I think, is incredibly weak. But the reveal is so good. But you're also right. It's weak. It's not, though. No, it's really so, bo- it's like, you know, like I, I was just saying to someone the other day, I was like, Abigail Brand, Blindfold and Danger were all rescued from the way that we initially characterized them in that book. But no one has seemed interested in rehabbing Ord of the Break World. And I think there's a reason for that, which is that that story is what? You know, I actually had someone getting drunk on Break World wine in a comic, but the line got cut. And now I can't remember. It was like it was Break World, right? So it was wine that felt like glass. Mm -hmm. Al used Breakworld in a fun way in that uh, Cable Reloaded one shot. That was cute. But it's just not, it's not giving to me personally. The other best deaths though, I mean like Ilyana's death in Inferno is great, but then she comes back as a little girl. And then that death I think is a little manipulative, but it's well-written. Warren in the Dark Angel saga, also very good, I would say. In Remender's Uncanny yes. X-Force. Yeah, I just, that book's just not my vibe, but it's a, it's a good scene for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that in general, actually, I think that the Doug Ramsey death scene in Fall of the Mutants and New Mutants is fantastic. And I actually think that Zeb Wells bringing him back in Necrotia was done really well. So that's another good example the thing about X-Men is that they all come back eventually, right? That's why Hickman was like, what if they just come back immediately and we don't have to futz around with this nonsense anymore, which I think was a really innovative and fun idea for this particular franchise where ever since Gene climbed out of that cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay, death has not been the ultimate stake anymore, you know? No, I think didn't it also kind of happen, didn't it kind of, I forget now, didn't Grant and Frank just kind of hand wave the fact that Colossus fucking died like two issues before uh, when he was possessed by Apocalypse? And then he was just back and fine. And Cyclops, you mean? Yeah, Cyclops. I, I'm sorry. Um, no, they had a whole, there was a mini that was like the search for Cyclops where they found him and got him back before Grant took over. Okay. But it was a big don't worry about it. So they just didn't worry about it. They just have him vaguely be like, I'm in a bad mood because Apocalypse possessed me and now I'm going to cheat on my wife. And like, that was the, the gist. Although I, as I've pointed out many a time, Gene kisses Logan before Scott does anything with Emma. So I'm just saying, just saying. It's a two-way street. Their marriage is hell and it's no one's fault that it's hell. Sometimes you shouldn't marry your girlfriend from high school. They seem good now. So it worked out. Went to their wedding. Mm. I did. I did. Uh, the local mall had a big event. I love that. And uh, I got to go to their wedding. I got an uh, album from it. Did they play One by U2, the canonical <laughs> first dance song of Scott and Gene's No, wedding? no, I don't think that was a thing at the time. You know Gene picked that one. It's like, Gene, did you read the lyrics? The best part about it is... <laughs> so Scott and Gene were in a tuxedo and a wedding gown. 
and Wolverine was in full Wolverine costume with a bow tie. <laughs> like <laughs> it was the most amazing thing ever. I love that, honestly. And Jean wore that Nicole Miller dress that was truly gorgeous, at least. So there was that. Marriage is work. Let's just say that, right? Well, Nyla and Steve, thank you so much for being my guests. I'd love to, before we wrap up, give you an opportunity to plug anything you want to plug. Uh, Nyla, you're on tour right now, right? So thank you for taking a moment to talk about this X-Men. This is I am always on tour. But thank you. Thank you. No, and uh, I'm glad we can make this work. Finally, um, yeah. Well, no, it's there was <laughs> there was a there was a brief miscommunication last week that led to me sitting in the Zoom for like an hour. Like, is, what's going on? And Nyla was so sweet and apologetic, and it's fine. I wasn't going to tell them. I, I'll tell them. It, it, it's, it's my mutant power is pranks. I gotcha. <laughs> no, um, truly, truly, truly. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me and Steve on. Um, and thanks for all the questions, everybody. But yeah, if you want to find me, pick your favorite social media platform, do the whole at sign thing, and then type in Nyla Rose Beast. You'll find me. I should have a check mark so you know it's legit. If there's no verification, it's probably not me, but Nyla Rose Beast on like every social media platform. There you go. And that's Nyla with a Y, N-Y. N-Y-L-A, yes. I, I like Liza with a Z. No, I just, because it's audio. I like to, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll say yeah. it on the episode, but sometimes people are like, what did you say? I'm like, it's the person's name. I'm all, but I'll spell it for you. Why not? New York, Los Angeles, N-Y-L-A. Oh, I love that, actually. Coast to coast. That's me splitting my time. Hey. I have to fly back to New York in like three days. You'll all know it's Nyla because she'll just be burying Serpentico. At least three times a day. Use my teeth white. You literally did that during this podcast. Like I opened like <laughs> I, I like for a second uh earlier I like hopped on and there you are, burying 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 fucking Serpentico again. Yeah, he's a son of a bitch. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we do why the multitasking of wrestling Twitter. <laughs> Steve, what do you want to plug? Since you were on the show last, you have become the new writer with artist Eleonora Carlini on Marauders. Do you have anything fun you might want to tease for the listeners about the upcoming issues three, four, etc.? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, uh, Marauders and X-Men Green. Oh, well, yeah, right. you've also taken over the X-Men Green and Unlimited Infinity comic. Very unfortunately, Carla had to step away, so I, I, I stepped in. Uh, but I, I am on that now. Uh, and, I mean... <laughs> Someone said to me, wow, this got dark. And then they paused and said, oh, it's Steve now. And I was like, that yeah, but it was already like, dark. No, it was already she, pretty dark, but, you know. She kills a, I mean, like, she kills a grocery vendor, like... In, like, in the first... In the first... Ripping out people's... Yeah throats with her antlers anyway uh i do like a good lethal death scene but um x-men green uh what should i tease there it actually will there will be stuff going on uh tying into our orcus narrative and things like that but in a basic sense uh you're gonna see the uh marauders uh, marauders emergency response team which has a bunch of fun characters that have not been on the marauders before uh they get cool new jackets that are inspired by new x-men these are characters who aren't currently on the team Correct. I mean, you know, they're, you know, the the Marauders is a rescue team, not necessarily an emergency response team. So, in in the, you know, in light of what they do in the most mm-hmm. recent issue where they attack an oil rig, Pride and Bishop feel a real like a, a bespoke team to deal with this disaster. As they to deal with the X Men Green kids. Correct. So they become Gosh. Marauders for a day. 
a program that will probably continue. And it's a really fun team. And you get to see everybody using their powers in really wild, life-saving ways. Uh, some good nuggets in there for Academy X fans. Ooh, well, that'll make them happy if they still listen to this podcast after all of my shitting on Academy X. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's, not, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. I was old by that point. They were young. There were like 500 of them, and I couldn't keep track. And Marauders, I mean, God, there's there's so much to tease. There's, it's only 10,000 years to first appearances. Uh, you know, the, the first generation mutants that Jonathan teased way back in X-Men when he was writing it. But so much more, you know, like I just I just put issue four to bed and it ends. I mean, this isn't a spoiler. He's on the cover the the original Age of Apocalypse uh, nemesis. Holocaust, Holocaust or ne- nemesis. Yes. First name nemesis, uh, code name Holocaust. Like he could have been Brad, but, but Apocalypse you know, nemesis. so he's going to be appearing in issue five, which is a heist that takes place in a different issue from the past, which I'm very excited about. And then at the end of issue five, there's a there's a tie in my 2099 event. Uh, that I'm doing right now, the 30th anniversary of 2099. Mm-hmm. Six is our Judgment Day tie-in. I'm super excited because we've done so much explosions and now we can actually like dig into some character work for an issue. Not that there has been character, but we can really get inside these people's heads and allude to one of my favorite issues of Peter David's X-Factor. Everybody figured that out when I said that in the announcement, so it's no spoiler. We're alluding to the therapy issue. We're going to do some examinations. Some hyperbaric time therapy and some examination, uh, as you said, with, with another good fun return that is going to affect this book and other books that, uh, well, you, you'll probably predict when you see who it is. And then with seven, it's off to the races, man. We're 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 digging deep in uh, deep into the conflict facing this first generation of mutants. As Pride decides, you know, you want to talk about Jurassic Park. She's got to decide if she can save a lost mutant golden age from the past, and then if she should, because of course, saving them probably means undoing all of present history. So it's a little bit of a quandary. It's a little bit high stakes. And <laughs> notably, she's she's gone there before. There was that Claremont miniseries, True Friends, where she and Rachel go back to World War II, and Destiny's like, Kitty, you may not kill Hitler. It will fuck up the whole timeline. <laughs> well, is. the good thing is for people who have had questions about things like why don't they just fix Genosha, that's actually answered, uh, at least from Tempo's point of view, in one of our data pages and in her overall actions in issue four. So... Nice. Uh, so we can, we'll finally get a good look at her own relationship with time. She's a real breakout. I'm really enjoying seeing her on the I team. mean, you know, time uh, time blunts every blade, as she said in issue mm-hmm. one. Much more powerful than people think. Uh, and probably some love for her coming up, too. But you'll see that starting with issue That's seven. Fun. Some romance. I don't want to say love. You know, I'm putting, you know, putting... But no, put but like a, a beautiful lady in Tempo's future, let's say. Yes, and a mysterious one as well. So that's coming. I mean, there's so much coming, you know, like we have Brimstone Love's new apprentice is someone I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, their first appearance in the mainstream universe, uh, not their first appearance, but much like Brimstone Love, uh, you know, the time has come for some new villains to show up and we're pulling the ones that I think are interesting and reintroducing them. Yeah. That ties into the Detective Lockheed stuff. There's just so much going on. Uh, but I, I could not could not be more excited. And you've seen a couple previews that the other folks haven't since you are my agent. That's true, I have. Laura is just going to continue to crush, I mean, just crush this book. Like it wouldn't exist without her, obviously, but even spiritually, uh, she's made it her own. Well, I love that kind of tight collaboration. It makes the book so distinctive. Subscribe to Marauders at your local comic shop if you would like Marauders to run for a good long time, because I know I would. Steve, Nyla, thank you again for joining me. Steve, where can they follow you on social media if they don't already? I'm, uh, you do the at sign and then it's Nyla Rose Beast. 
Um, Steve is at the Steve Orlando. If I, you want to find Steve, so draw your own conclusions. <laughs> well, and you got hacked recently by that. I did. Shoe I did. Salesman. But actually, I think that actually was Nyla because they were just selling shoes on that bitch. So, gotcha. No, I, I'm I'm at the Steve Orlando on Twitter and at the Steve Orlando on Instagram, and I'm pretty easy to find. And Mazel to you, my friend, on your Eisner nomination with Steve Fox for the children's title, The Rainbow Bridge. That was really exciting. That was announced what yesterday? Wednesday. What a whirlwind week for us. We were ready to nuke each other from orbit on a project that you guys folks don't know about on Monday, and then on Wednesday we got nominated for the top industry award and on friday i suppose i'm going to get him pregnant i don't know we'll find out stay tuned yeah that's friendship is what that is as gay people we get to choose our frenemies pretty sure everybody gets to choose their friends (laughs) 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 well thank you both for joining me You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, the Discord server, and much, much more at Cerebrocast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier at Patreon.com slash Cerebrocast, you can get exclusive access to the Secret Files bonus episodes. There's some fun stuff coming up. I'm going to do a Cerebro catch-up because season two and did and I'm going to catch you up on what every character I've already covered has been up to since the end of season one. There will be a mailbag episode that's going to be giant size because I didn't do it in March or April so it's just going to be really fucking big. Uh, And then Valentine Smith and Zoe Tunnell, the artist and writer of Blade Maidens, will be joining me for a deep dive on every time Betsy Braddock and Rachel Summers have ever appeared in a comic book together in advance of whatever might be to come in Knights of X. Thank you, as always, for your support, for listening. Next week, Steph Williams will be joining me to talk about Dr. Cecilia Reyes. And after that, Al Ewing will be coming on the pod to talk about Abigail Brand. Now, exclusively, because I know people have been eagerly waiting, I am going to announce the next four episodes. Questions are closed for Cecilia and Abigail, but they are now open for... Comics critic and academic Rebecca Galt on Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, science writer Jordan Block on Ricochet Rita Wayward, The Seductive Sorceress Spiral, Anthony Oliveira on Sinjin Allardyce, Pyro, and in a real Cerebro twist, fan favorite Alex Abad Santos rejoins the pod for a deep dive on Amara Juliana Olivian's Aquila, The New Mutant Magma. Questions are open for all four of those characters. I'm really excited about everything that season three has in store for all of you. Thanks as always for listening. And until next time, bye. 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 X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 